0: Uh, Chapter 8, verses 9 through 14. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 9 through 14. And I will be reading from the New King James Version. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago. But now you also must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may, may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he, he does not have. For I do not mean that the other should be eased and you burdened but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be an equality.
1: Well, it is good to see each of you this morning. Glad you can be here with us, especially if you're visiting. We're so glad that you are here uh, among our number this morning. I'm going to talk about something this morning that I've had a couple of questions about, directed to me. and uh, So I thought maybe the best way to address it is just to uh, have a sermon on the topic. As we look down through the history of man, and we are understanding the things that God has required, from the very beginning of time, God has required His creation to offer gifts of sacrifice. That's always been a part of God's plan. We can't see a time in the history of man when God did not require sacrifice. But have you ever thought about the reason behind that? Have you ever wondered why God felt the need to require His creation to offer something to Him? After all, He doesn't need anything, especially from us. There's nothing that we have that He did not give us. So, But there must be something. And I believe that therein lies the answer to why does He feel the need to ask us to offer sacrifice? The commandment to offer those gifts of sacrifice have never been based in material things that God needed. When we look at the things that God has given to us, and Paul explained it very well to those in Athens. If you'll notice... Paul said, God that made the world and all things therein, and he's talking about or explaining to them and describing to them the unknown God that they had built an altar to, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth. He says, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though He needed anything, seeing that He giveth life and breath. In all things, Acts 17, 24 through 25. God doesn't need us to support Him financially in some way. God does not need us to build a house for Him wherein He may dwell. He created the earth and all that is in it, and if we built a house, it would be built out of something that He had already given to us. So understanding that God is not in need of our material support, it must be that when we give to the church, when we offer a gift of sacrifice, the blessing must then be on the giver. Well, have you ever heard someone in the denominational world say or read it in a pamphlet or seen it in some kind of an advertisement, if you'll send in X amount of dollars, you will be blessed so many fold times more. Have you ever heard that called or referred to as a seed offering? You send in your seed offering and that will grow material blessings for you. That's not in the Bible. We don't find that in the Scripture. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about receiving some kind of a blessing because we put in an X amount of dollars in the plate. That's not the blessing. That's absolutely contrary to what God has taught. Paul reminded the elders in Ephesus. He said, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. But why is it more blessed to give than to receive? Well, around my house, I kind of like receiving things. You know, we have a Christmas, or especially on my birthday, I like receiving those things. But you know, maybe what I enjoy more when I receive something from my girls is the look on their face when I open it and they see that I like it. Have you all noticed that as well? Especially when our children get older. See, that's when we really come into our own, isn't it? We begin to understand it is truly more blessed to give than to receive? Is there anything that you love more than giving your child or your grandchild something? Isn't that a great blessing to see that look on their face of enjoyment? But there's another reason that we're blessed when we give. We learn what sacrifice is. We can learn in some small way about sacrifice. And the love that accompanies that sacrifice. I can remember when our girls were, were younger and Christmas would come around and boy, you'd start saving up, you'd start saving up, and you'd stop buying certain things that maybe you didn't need or, or you thought you did need, but then you, you didn't buy it. Or maybe, you know what, maybe you did need it. But there was something that you wanted more. You gave up something you loved for something that you loved more, right? That's sacrifice. Jesus talked about the love that comes with great sacrifice, didn't He? He said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The parent in here that would not give his or her life for their child, please raise your hand. I don't see any hands going up we would lay down our lives for those who we love. You know, we read in the Scripture about a man might lay down his life for someone that is a good person. We see that a lot, don't we? We see that in the military all the time. Someone lays down his life to save the rest of his squad members or his platoon members. But we don't see a whole lot of people laying down their lives for the filthy, the disgusting, the hateful, We don't see that, do we? But we've seen it once. We saw Christ lay down His life for the filthy, for the disgusting, for the hateful, for those who wanted no part of Him. That is sacrifice. We have to learn what sacrifice is and how are we going to do that? We're not going to be laying down our lives. But if we're going to be successful in being more like Christ each day, We have to learn something about sacrifice. We have to understand what that means. And we have to do it in in some way to understand what Christ was thinking. Now again, we're not going to lay down our lives, but on some level, He wants us to come to that understanding. From the very beginning of time, God required sacrifice. We look at Adam and Eve. On down through the patriarchal age, into the law of Moses, we see sacrifice. Even into the Christian age, we see sacrifice. Now things changed a little bit, didn't it? When we come into the Christian dispensation, the types of sacrifices changed. No longer were we going out to the herd and finding the best of the flock right off of the top, the the best goat or sheep or whatever we could find in our herds. And then we would give that as a sacrifice. Well, we don't do that anymore. But we still sacrifice. Today we sacrifice by giving our money. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. When we come together on the first day of the week to give our money. Now this is a topic that a lot of times we don't like talking about, right? But we've got to talk about it. We have to talk about it in the right sense and in the right way. That's not the only way we give sacrifice. The writer of Hebrews says that we offer the sacrifice of the fruit of our lips. How do we do that? Singing, praying, preaching, doing those things and honoring God with our voices. That's a sacrifice. That's what the writer of Hebrews called it. But nonetheless, it is still sacrificial. We have to understand that. We have to understand something that is very important. And it is very important to God. When we talk about giving money, it's not the amount that we give. God isn't looking at the, the number on the check or the picture on the bill. He is looking at the sacrifice that comes with that. Let's think about that. You know, I cannot tell you the times I have been asked, well, how much should I give? I can't tell you the times I've asked that. How much should I give? But you know, the thing that has always been the same has been the answer. I don't know. Whether someone has asked me or I've asked someone else, the answer has always been, I don't know. You will have to determine that. You know why the answer is I don't know? Everybody is in a different situation. Everybody is in a different financial situation. And that's what the I don't know is based upon. Now we can come to an answer as individuals. I think we can look at what God has told us, but unlike under the old law, we're not going to come up with a number that is a blanket number for everyone involved. When we look under the law of Moses, those people were commanded to tithe. That was just one part of their giving, though. People have the misconception that they gave a 10% of their money. In actuality, they gave close to half of their money. When you look at their tithes and their offerings and so on and so forth and on and on and on. But we don't do that anymore. We're not under that law. I had someone tell me while I was in school, you better be given 10%. I said, well, where's that? Where, where's the commandment that I, under the Christian age, am to give 10%? That's an Old Testament law. We don't live under the Old Testament any longer. How do we give under the New Testament? We give as we have been prospered. So we go back to the I don't know. I don't know how much someone has been prospered. I had a fellow ask me one time, When I was preaching up at Wheeler Hill, he said, well, how do I know if I've been prospered? I said, are you eating? Do you have somewhere to live? Are you running up and down the road with gasoline in your vehicle? You've been prospered. Now, to what extent? I don't know. You know, we don't don't go to the preacher and, and say, hey, how much should I give? Look, the preacher doesn't know. You know what the individual knows? How much he has been prospered. And that's what we need to think about. The purpose this morning is for us to come to a better knowledge of what we ought to give individually. We want to talk about some things that we can consider. We want to look at ourselves as individuals. And we want to understand our giving, though, first and foremost, as the sacrifice that it ought to be. But to be able to do that, we have to ask the question, what does God expect when I give? Because He expects something. Now, I have to determine what that is. But to determine what that is, I have to go to what He has instructed us to do. I've got to go to the Bible, right? When we study, and I'm using this passage in Second Corinthians, when we study and we ask, what does God expect when I give? I can determine pretty easily, that God expects me to be resolute in my giving. He expects that. He wants me to be primed and ready for action when it is necessary. That's what the letter to the Corinthians was about. He said, you've been preparing, now's the time for action. Now's the time for doing. You've been planning on doing this, which is something they needed to do. But now they had to do it. They have to be ready. Paul instructed the Corinthians to be ready to act. Do what you said you would do. Do what you planned on doing. I want us to notice, though, that in this instance, he didn't come up and make an explicit command. Now, he could have. But what he was doing, as we notice, was he was trying to encourage the giver. He wanted the, the giver to be encouraged, to, to be uplifted, to be able to determine what they needed to do. He had already given the commandment, 1 Corinthians 16.1. He said, I told Galatia, the churches in Galatia, on the first day of the week, come together for an offering, and you do the same thing. So the, command, the commandment was already there. Now he's sending a second letter, and he's encouraging. He's encouraging those people. We have to understand that giving based solely upon a command, and that's the only motivation, will never be what God wants it to be. It will never be the the thing that He is looking for. It will never be as abundant as He would like for it to be if it's simply done out of a sense of commandment, right? Why do we want to obey the gospel? Why do we want to believe what the Bible says? What would make me want to repent? like Peter told those on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, verse 38, what would cause me to want to do that? What would cause me to want to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He came out of the tomb on the third day, and that He is today sitting at the right hand of the Father on the throne? What would cause me to want to do that? The same thing that would cause me to want to go down into the water, Romans 6, 3, and 4, to be buried with Him in baptism, to come up to walk in a new life, Love, that is the motive. If I'm doing something out of a simple, my parents made me do it, my parents made me obey the gospel, I'm not obeying anything. I'm getting down in the water. I'm making a few statements. It doesn't mean anything. I have to do it out of love. That's what God wants. Those brethren in Corinth, they were made aware of the opportunity to help others. They were gathering up a treasury of money to send to Jerusalem because they were in financial distress in Jerusalem. They didn't have any food to eat. But there was another motivation. It wasn't just the opportunity to help someone, which that's based in love. But there's a greater motivation. He reminded them of the way Jesus gave. Notice how Jesus gave. For ye know the grace of our Lord, Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be rich. How exactly did Christ go from being rich to being poor? How was it that He went from having an abundance of things, and that's kind of what I think of when I think of someone being rich, they have an abundance of things. How did He go from that to having nothing? He left heaven. He left the glory of heaven. Now we don't know what heaven looks like. Now we've been given some examples and some illustrations and some figurative uh, adjectives on what heaven looks like. John in the Revelation said it had a street of gold. Can you imagine? An abundance of so much that the pavement used is a precious metal. I don't have a lot of gold sitting around my house, and if I did, I wouldn't go pave my park uh, my driveway with it, right? But that's what Jesus left. That's how he became poor. They were already aware of this gift of grace that God had given and so willingly had given, but they needed to understand some sacrifice, and we need to be reminded from time to time, right? On another occasion, Paul said, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins. Why? That He might deliver us from the evil of this world. Now that is a sacrifice. Because of the great gift and the manner in which they received it, God expected them to give likewise. It has to be a sacrifice. God expects us to be primed, ready for action. But if we're not purposeful, we're not doing exactly what God wants us to do. Proper giving is according to purpose, right? We sit down and we purpose, we plan. Notice what Paul said, Every man according to as he purposeth in his heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. 2 Corinthians 9. Verse 7, the first part of that verse. So we need to sit down, we need to plan. If we give according to impulse, that's kind of emotional, isn't it? We're not to give according to emotions or feelings. We're supposed to purpose, right? We sit down and we say, I am blessed X amount of uh, salary. I'm going to purpose to give God this much. I have heard... Members of the church have come up to me before in places where I've been, and they may be a little upset with some decision makings that the eldership has done. And you know what the first thing they threaten? I'm going to quit giving my contribution. I don't like what they're doing. And and I'm not talking about matters of doctrine. I'm talking about opinion, right? I'm talking about the color of the carpet or the design of the pew or who we get to come in and speak on a a Wednesday night summer series. Though they may be doctrinally sound, they may personally not like the individual. So the first thing they want to do is they're going to cut off their giving. Well, that's not what God wants. That's not being purposeful in your giving. God doesn't want us to do that. In the same way, giving that is based upon pressure or manipulation, it's no good either. Someone kind of, Embarrasses you into giving a certain amount. Have you ever noticed? I think it's kind of funny at times, and, and I've done the same thing. I'll write out a check, kind of like this. I'll get that thing folded up real quick, and then I can throw it into the to the thing. I don't want anyone looking at what I'm giving. Well, that's not in and of itself. That's not bad. I just I just think sometimes we're a little. A little wary of of, uh, someone knowing that. And it's not anyone's business other than ours. That's between us and God. But maybe I'm a little embarrassed about the number on the check. I don't know. But if I change that number on the check because I think maybe someone feels like I ought to give more, that's no good. That's no good. I have to give it because I have purposed. God expects us to give special thought to the contribution. Again, I want to be clear. It's not the number on the check. It's not the picture on the bill. That's not what God's looking at. He's looking at a sacrifice. Do you remember the widow? She threw in two mites. I'm not sure how much two mites is in, in our money today, but I always think of a penny. I don't know that if, it, if it's even that much. But she threw it in. and God, Jesus saw that, didn't he? He was sitting over by the treasury. He saw her throw it in. But see, here's what I have to remember. When God sees me put in my money, He knows what I'm doing. When God sees me singing, He sees me offering that sacrifice. When He sees me praying, He sees me offering that sacrifice. He knows what's on my mind. Am I bowing my head as I'm being led in prayer and I'm thinking about getting home to watch the Super Bowl? Well, I'm not purposing in my heart for my sacrifice, am I? Paul ended his statement to the Corinthians In the second part, chapter 9, verse 7, for God loveth a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. We're warned against giving grudgingly, right? We've got to give because we want to give. It should make us happy to know we're supporting the works of the church. We were speaking this morning and we were talking about in class that for the gospel to be taught, you have to have preachers and teachers. But you have to have more than that. You have to have people to send them, right? Right? You have to have people to send them. Not everybody can walk up and down the street, knock on a door and invite someone to church or try to establish a Bible study. We, not everybody can do that. So we've got senders and we've got takers, right? And that's what we're supposed to have. But see, we have to purpose about our sacrifice. We ought to be happy that we can support the works of the church. God expects us to be resolute in our giving, but He wants us to be resourceful. He wants it to be very personal, doesn't He? Notice the commandments. The commandments, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. Let every one of you, right? He's talking to us individually. Individuals make up the collective body. He's writing to the church at Corinth, but it's comprised of individuals. He says, let each one of you lay by him in store. Giving is an individual act. I can't give for someone, someone can't give for me. Now that doesn't mean a husband and wife team have to give separately. That's not what he's talking about. But you know what it does mean? That husband and wife team need to sit down and purpose in their hearts what we're going to give to the Lord. We need to be able to do that. We need to make that a priority. We're commanded to cast into the treasury that which we've purposed, that which we've planned, right? How how do I go about doing that? See, that's the question. I wish I had the answer. Do we sing a song that says, Count Your Many Blessings? Count your many blessings and see what God has done for you. Maybe that's a good rule of thumb. Maybe I ought to look around in my situation and I ought to say, these are the blessings God has given me and then I give accordingly, right? I give accordingly to that. As we give in a resourceful way, we're also to give personally. But we need to be prudent in our giving. We need to be smart, right? We need to watch our money. We need to have good judgment, We don't need to waste the funds that Christ has blessed us with. Each of us has been given a portion of God's goods. Each of us in some way have been blessed with something God has given to us. We didn't create it on our own. And so we need to take care of it properly, right? Christ asked this. He said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of meat in due season see we have a portion that's been given to us we have to watch over that we have to take care of that do you recall matthew 25 the parable of the talents you had one man given five talents another given two and one given one as we look through as that parable unfolds the first two the five and the two talent men they went out and they handled properly the gifts that they had been given what that third fellow do in essence, he, he wasted His talent, didn't He? He dug a hole. He buried it. He brought that same talent back. Have you ever noticed God has never, Christ in His interaction with the people of the world, never left someone in exactly the same situation they were when He found them? Now, they didn't all obey Him, but they had some things on their minds that they didn't have before. God changes us. Christ changes us. We need to use what we have been given. We need to use it properly, right? If we don't do that, and we don't properly steward over our money, that prevents us from giving the way God would like for us to give. And we're not going to be rewarded for that. Paul said, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Therefore, the wise steward is the one who is properly caring." for the gifts that God has given to us. Now that's not an indication that an emergency arises and we can't take care of it. That's not an indication that sometimes, and I've been in this situation myself many times, you make a poor financial decision, right? Maybe I do something and I put myself in a financial bind. Does God expect me to not pay my car payment? Does He expect me not to pay my house payment? No, He expects us to do what we say we'll do. So that's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about is God expects us to be good stewards and if I've gotten myself in a financial bind, I need to work my way out of it so I can give properly, so I can properly care for the gifts that God has given me. We have to be prudent in the way we view money, right? What is money? It's a tool, It's a tool that allows us to live in this world. Is there anything wrong with having money? A thousand times, no. Nothing wrong with being extremely wealthy. If I view money prudently. If I look at it as a tool. Notice what Paul warned Timothy. He said, "...but they that will be rich fall into temptation." He didn't say those that are rich will fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition, for the love of money. He didn't say money's the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. If I set everything aside in my life, except for money, and that's what I worry about, and that's what I'm concerned with, and I don't care about anything else but my money, my bank account, that's where the problem begins. Nothing wrong with having money. If we don't have it, we're in trouble. I would say we would all like to have a little extra money, right? Nothing wrong with that. But we can't love money any more than we can love anything else that is worldly. Money is not evil unless we begin to love it and we want it above all things. Wealth has a danger associated with it. But a lot of things have dangers associated with them, of which we must be careful. Christ warned, He said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. It doesn't matter what I possess. It matters about my faithfulness, right? Having good judgment means that we work for our money. God never intended... Someone to be kept up in this world. Never intended for a man to gain money through any means other than honest work and labor. Paul commanded, he said, let him that steals, steal no more, but let, rather let him labor, working with his hands. Labor. Do honest work. And if you can become a millionaire doing that, more power to you. But be faithful to God all the time using that money as a tool. Neither does this prohibit helping someone who can't help themselves. That's not what he's talking about here either. We can do that, but we have to be workers when we're able to be workers. That doesn't mean we can't be given an inheritance. No, we see that throughout the Bible, don't we? God participates in inheritance, doesn't He? He gives us an inheritance. Nothing wrong with that. But we're talking about making our living through our own labors. Paul explained what should happen to that individual who refused to work. You remember that? If he won't, eat, if he won't work, neither should he eat. 2 Thessalonians 3, 8-10. we got to work. We have to use that money as a tool. Using good judgment also causes us to provide for our families. Do you know that's a work of the church? For us to provide for our families as individuals. Not for the church. Collectively to provide for my family. But for me as an individual to provide for my family. Now, what if something happens to me and I become unable to provide for my family? Is it wrong for the church to help me? No, that's not wrong. But I need to work while I can work. Work while we have the opportunity, right? That's what God wants. Paul warned this. He said, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. What does God expect when I give? I think he expects my giving to be resolute. I think he expects my giving to be resourceful. Finally, I think he expects my giving to be relative. Relative. Now, what do I mean by that? Proportional, right? Doesn't matter what my neighbor gives doesn't make any difference what my my parents give or my children give or whatever the case may be. God expects my giving to be proportional. That's where the sacrifice comes in. Because that's what we're offering. God doesn't judge our sacrifice by the amount we give. He judges our sacrifice by the amount which is left over. I think that's one of the one of the things that we need to understand one of the greatest examples of that let's go back to the widow right she had two mites what did the lord say she gave more than all of them he was sitting by the treasury now <clears throat> think uh, uh, get in your mind how this treasury was set up they didn't pass something like we pass they had over in the corner or somewhere they had something that looked like it had a big half a big bowl on top of it and it had uh Made from metal, and it would go around down into where the money would be held. Kind of looked like a bugle of sorts. People would throw that money in, and it would clang and make noise. And boy, when you heard a bunch of noise going down a tube, everybody would look. See, that's what the Pharisees liked. I'm going to go throw in out of my abundance. But was that a sacrifice? No. They didn't sacrifice. They gave a lot of money. They didn't sacrifice. The the, the poor widow came over. She had these two mites. She cast them in. It's not going to make a whole lot of noise. No one paid any attention. Christ said she gave more than all of them. She gave her living. Now, does that mean we have to give every penny that we have? We have to be prudent with our money, right? That doesn't mean we give everything that we own. That means that we give a sacrifice. That's what God's looking at. You know, we do not learn anything else about this poor widow. Nothing's left for us. Her situation in life, her, her health, or, or did she starve to death after she gave those two mites? We don't know anything about her life after this single account. But here's something we do know. We do know the psalmist said, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Did the Lord allow that woman to die of starvation? Well, if she was able to work, I'm sure she worked and He blessed her efforts. If she was unable to work and she had children, I'm sure they took care of her. If she didn't have children, I'm sure that someone took care of her because she was faithful and she was righteous. We should always keep in mind that if we seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness first, all these other things will be added to us. That doesn't mean we're going to wake up rich tomorrow. That doesn't mean that we're going to have an overabundance of money. That doesn't mean we're not going to have some financial strain from time to time. But what that means is, when we seek God and His kingdom first, and we're righteous, we'll be blessed. may not necessarily be in this life, it will certainly be in the next. That is what makes our giving equal. That's what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians. How's our giving equal? I would say no one here gives the exact same amount of money on Sunday morning. But what makes it equal? It's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. It's given purposefully. It's given the way that God wants it to be given. Our giving must also be preventive. What does that mean? Well, what if a need arises and we don't have any money in the treasury because we're not giving properly? What if someone is in need, their house burns down, they need some clothes? What if someone has a bunch of children and and they need something. They need food and we don't have any money. What, what happens when the church is bankrupt because we're not giving properly and we can't help anybody? Now, we have been blessed monetarily here so greatly. And I'll tell you, this, this congregation, the White Oak Church of Christ, has taken care of people. I knew, that, I knew of the reputation of this congregation for years. But I didn't understand exactly what that meant until I became a member of this congregation. Boy, I tell you what, we have helped so many people because we're good stewards of our money. We don't waste it. We don't just open up the coffers to anyone that comes along just because they shoot us a line. We've heard it all, right? But we help those in need. And God has blessed us for that. When we consider the act of giving, I think that we quickly realize that it's a matter of attitude more than anything else. We see people talked about in the Bible that had poor attitudes concerning their money. The rich young ruler. I think he was serious. He came up and he asked Jesus. He said, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, go sell everything you've got. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. Now, is that what we have to do? Do we have to sell everything we've got? Give it all away and then then be Christians and then that's what satisfies God. No. no. We don't have to do that anymore than we have to build an ark to be saved. That was that young man's problem. He loved money more than he loved heaven. We see Ananias and Sapphira. They wanted to uh, have someone pat them on the back and they lied about the money they gave. But see, we see other people. Barnabas cheerfully gave. I want to close on this thought. As we think about God's expectations regarding our giving, I want us to think about the people in the time of Malachi. They had a problem with giving. The great prophet first mentioned their problem because they were offering sick and lame and blind animals to God as a sacrifice. They went out to the herd instead of getting the, the finest animal they had because that's what God required, they got the sickest animal they had because that, he was going to die anyway. So we'll just offer that in sacrifice. Well, he mentioned it again in Malachi 3, verse 8. He asked if they would offer those same kinds of offerings to the governor. God said, no, you wouldn't. That's a lack of reverence. He asked, will a man rob God? He says, "Yet you've robbed me. But ye say, Wherein? How have I robbed God? He said, Through tithes and offerings you robbed me. Let's not rob God. If our desire is to be faithful, we have to be faithful in all aspects, right? We have to be faithful in our lives, how we deal with people, how we treat one another. We have to be faithful in our minds, our thoughts, the things we, that we dwell upon in our minds. We have to be faithful. We have to be faithful also in our giving. Again, this is a a topic that, that we don't address very often. And I don't think it's needed to be addressed very often. But when we do address it, let's think about it the way God wants us to. Our giving has to be a sacrifice. Just like living our daily lives, we live a life of sacrifice. We give up what we love for what we love greater. If you've never obeyed the gospel, do that today. Give up what you love for what you love greater, and that's heaven. That's God, that's our Lord, for the sacrifice that He gave for us. If you've been unfaithful, come back to Him. Give up what you love for what you love greater. If you need to answer this invitation, do that as we stand and as we sing.
0: There's dangerous in
1: delaying except God saving grace. His life on the cross he
0: has given. Oh, come while yet you may.